This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back, looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. Go for Yelich. Cody Bellinger hits one out. Pete So he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to A's Cast Live. It will be a quickie, but I guarantee it will be good. Brian Anderson at 215. He's a World Series champion and, of course, does television for the Rays uh, was on and when he was a World Series champion that was that was back in 2001 with the Arizona Diamondbacks so he knows our skipper Bob Melvin well and then it's a Wednesday and it's the only reason why I know when we have Wednesday it's because it's a Ray Fossey day we get to have Ray Fossey for a almost I don't know Cody it won't be a full because we don't have a full half hour by 2.30 on. So maybe it's 20 minutes with the face of the franchise. How are you? I'm good. And I think it's like 25 or so we'll have with the great Ray Fossey. Don't call him Fossey. Don't call him Don't call him Raymond. Only his mother calls him Raymond, he told us. So I'm looking forward to talking to Ray because uh, the A's are playing much better. Last night, uh, that questionable third strike that they didn't call and the home run to friend of the program, Brett Phillips, still is uh, bothering me a day later. How can you even call that a questionable? Yeah, it was awful. <laughs> if, if, if I'm using Major League Baseball's technology, this is what I said in the postgame show. This is Major League Baseball's website. So, obvious. So, this is not a rogue website where people can debate. This is Major League Baseball's website. This is their technology. They've told us we can track every single pitch to every single batter. And clearly, their technology shows that that pitch was not a strike. I mean, that was a strike. And then, of course, next pitch, home run. And and, and it's very easy for people to say, well, you still have to man up. And, okay, you're right, but it's not that easy. You're dealing with the best players in the world. And when you strike a guy out, he should be struck out. But let's be honest, that strike zone yesterday was terrible for everybody. Chad Fairchild was brutal. I mean, how many times at the beginning of the game and in his outing, five innings, Michael Walker was questioning the strike zone. I remember there was one that somebody, let me see, was it in the first inning? I think it might have been Ramon Laureano that he ended up striking him out anyway, but he threw a pitch, and I remember it was like strike three, but it was not called strike three. And Michael Walker. So, I mean, there was a call on Jed. Uh, there was a call that went Jed's way that I thought was a strike. VML Machine, there was an at-bat where he struck out in the ninth inning. I uh, No, I'll say in the seventh inning, caught looking. That was suit what, That was a ball. If you go to Major League Baseball, MLB.com, and follow the game and follow the pit tracking, the one on VML Machine where he struck out looking was a ball. So... The A's look to avoid a losing consecutive games for the first time 
since their season-opening six-game skid. That's how good they've been going. The club has the best record in the majors, 15-3, and dating back to April 7th. They've won 14 of 16, which is still pretty darn good. Happy birthday, Matt Chapman. He's 28 today. Did you know that, Cody? I saw uh, the voice of the Coliseum, Amelia Schimmel, tweet out that it was his birthday today. If I didn't see that tweet, I would have had no idea it was his birthday. So happy 28th birthday. I've been there once, kid. I was That was about four years ago. So enjoy it. You're only two years away from being 30. Yeah, once you leave your 20s, it's all downhill from there. Life changes dramatically. We got a fun pitching matchup tonight in Cole Irvin and Tyler Glass now. Tyler Glass now is truly one of the most talented arms that we have in the game. Matt Chapman's hitting fifth. Now, Matt Chapman has been Steve Ruggling. So he pinched hit and, of course, struck out. He's one for 24 with 12 punch outs in his last nine games. But maybe he pulls a Mike Trout and he goes big on his birthday. How many years in a row is Mike Trout homered on his birthday? I think he's done it like five of nine or 10 years or whatever it is. So he's done it at least five times. But yeah, I think he's done it like, he might have done it five years in a row. I mean, it's pretty impressive what Trout does on his birthday. Um, so maybe you can pull oh, it out. It's pretty impressive what Mike Trout does on a daily <laughs> yeah. basis. Yeah, he's, I think he's a, he's a decent baseball player. He's got he's got a, he's got a good little future. Yeah, I think I think he I think he's just a little bit better than that Otani guy on his team. But okay, you know I love this date in baseball history. Today today's date in 1961, the great Warren Spahn no hit the Giants just a week before his 40th birthday. The lineup for the Giants had Willie Mays, Willie McCovey, Orlando Cepeda, all Hall of Famers. He won the game 1-0, a Hank Aaron RBI single in the first inning was the only run of the game. Warren Spahn was truly one of the great pitchers of all time. Just go to his baseball reference page and you'll realize how special this guy was. Near and dear to my heart because he played with my grandfather when they were Boston Braves. And they played in the World Series together in 1948. I, you know, when I was, when my mom passed away and I was clearing out all the stuff from the garage, there was all, there was pictures of Warren Spawn hanging out at my house. Obviously, uh, well before I was ever born. But, yeah, we, we lived in the house that, because my grandfather died so early and my mom took it over, that we lived in the house that he built. Warren Spawn used to hang out at my house. Pretty cool. But I wanted to bring something up. Because I've been hearing, they debated on MLB Now the other day about DeGrom. And they're now kind of building this guy up like he's an all-time great. An all-time great. And I'm thinking to myself, because he strikes out a lot of people, he's an all-time great. So I want to just, Cody, as you are uh, in love with Jacob deGrom, I cannot believe I'm on, I, I go to his baseball reference page, and it's all of his minor league stats. What the hell is that? 
If you go to the part where it says Jacob DeGrom overview, just click on that tab and it'll update to the normal page. I don't know why it does that sometimes with players. It's Where do I go? If you look up to where it has his like stats, like it'll say 2021 in career. It'll see where it says like Jacob DeGrom overview, minor league stats, splits. Just click on the overview tab and then it'll, it'll update to have his normal page. Oh, yeah. Like what? Well, you don't how want crazy to, is that? You don't want to tell people how good of a shortstop he was at Stetson College or whatever he played? <laughs> so he, he, here's Jacob DeGrom's stats. He's 72 and 52. Now, Cody's going to argue should a lot should have won a lot more games and the bullpen hosed him, right? Facts. He's big on strikeouts. He's got 1,409. You know, DeGrom's not young. DeGrom's 33. Innings pitched, 1,198.2. He's gone over 200 innings, one, two, three, four times. Now go to a guy like Warren Spahn, who won 363 games and has a 101 war. He pitched 5,243 and two-thirds innings. So let's go back to DeGrom who's not even at 2,000 innings at 33 years old at 1,198 and two-thirds, compared to Warren Spahn, 5,243.2. By the way, Warren Spahn also had 28 saves. I know. I was looking at that. I'm like, they didn't even recognize saves back then. How do you get saves? How do you have, the, how do you have 28 saves? They must have figured it out. Yeah, like years where he, he – one year he had, uh, he had three saves and he won 23 games and led the league in wins. So DeGrom has pitched in 187 games. Warren Spahn pitched in 750. Once again, DeGrom's not a young pitcher. And also back then, these guys, you look at their innings pitched. I mean, he he was pitching 300 innings. I mean, he had a lot of 290, 292, 267. I know we have to adjust to a modern game, but can we just look back at what guys used to do? And so when we say a guy is an all-time great, maybe we slow down on guys that just get up there and throw as hard as they can. I know I know, DeGrom has come into his own as more of a pitcher now because early in his career he was like what we see with so many guys. But can we slow down on an all-time great? I think that the reason why they do that is he's on a tra- a great Hall of Fame. If he wasn't going to be 33 years old soon, he'd be on a Hall of Fame track. Well, he still is yeah, on a Hall of Fame. He was 27. Yeah. I think that yeah. I mean, I think that if he keeps putting up these numbers and don't look at the wins because the wins are going to hurt him if you're still voting based on just wins and, and uh, several other things, he would be on a Hall of Fame track, but I think his age is going to kind of hurt that. I saw the Ringer put, put out an article about how his odds for the Hall of Famer are, are long, but he could still potentially get in. I agree because he wants to pitch till he's in his 40s. But it's just, you know, he's 33. He's already had – I think he's had Tommy John before. Um, he's a former college shortstop, so he wasn't even always a pitcher. But he's putting up great numbers. He might be a guy that gets close to 3,000 strikeouts. Um, I mean, he's already at 1,400 in his career. He's only 1,000 or 1,100 behind Warren Spahn's career total in 21 years. And DeGrom's been pitching since he was – DeGrom's been a starter since 2014 when he was – how old was he? I'm looking at right now. He was 26 when he first came into as a starter. So, I mean, he he's going to – he'll get at least 2,000 strikeouts for sure. 
I mean, the all-time great is pushing it a little bit because you have some all-time greats pitching in baseball still right now, like a Max Scherzer, Clayton Kershaw, Verlander's hurt. Uh, debatable on Zach Greinke with a lot of people. I don't think the Grom is has the uh, longevity of them yet, but he's he's probably he is the best pitcher in baseball right now. I think there's no denying that. But to call him an all-time great right now, I think that's a bit of a stretch. And I'm a Jacob Degrom homer. Yeah, I, it's just it's and you know what, Grinky, there's a good chance Grinky gets into the Hall of Fame, but he's not an all-timer. You know, you get in the Hall of Fame, you're, you're you're truly one of the greatest players of all time. There's Hall of Famers, and then there's the elite Hall of Famers, right? Like, guys get in, but are you Hank Aaron? Are you Willie Mays? Mike, I mean, if we look at guys playing right now who you'd say has the potential to be an all-time great, obviously it's Mike Trout. You know, to, to if you're going to be with Ruth and, you know, if Bonds was in the Hall of Fame and Ricky Henderson, you're going to be with these all-time greats, Stan Musial, you know, Mays, Mantle. You're going to be with those guys. You know, Zach Greinke's not one of those guys. Now, if he gets in, he's more of the Don Sutton variety. No offense to Don Sutton. Yeah, no, I, I understand what you're saying, and I can't believe you're going to disrespect uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. like that. I thought he was already a Hall of Famer. Hundred. Well, yeah, you know, no, 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 no. You and that—that's that. That debate is between you and Sarah Langs from from MLB.com. No, I am out. It's me versus everyone. Me versus everyone uh, who loves Tatis Jr. All right, I just I just did this. Okay, the Rays have one hit. That was yesterday, the RBI single by Joey Wendell, friend of the program. In their last 29 at-bats with runners in scoring position. One for 29. Commander, do your math really quick. What's one for 29? I already know what it is. Point zero three four. Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> that's not good. Point zero three four. It's basically you score some runs against the Rays right now, and they got no shot. Only the Mets at one ninety three, and the Jays at two oh four have lower batting averages with runners in scoring position than the Rays. And the, the Jays number went up a little bit because uh, Vlad Guerrero Jr. hit three home runs, including a grand slam yesterday. So that number might went up a little bit. But the Mets are dead last in baseball and runs scored. And, oh, by the way, Fernando Ta or, um, Francisco Lindor was getting booed at City Field last night. He just signed that contract and they're already booing him. So I got to love New York fans. But, yeah, that, that's not good for the Rays. I mean, yeah, the, 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 the go-ahead home run or the home run Brett Phillips hit the go-ahead home run at the time. I mean, who would have thought Brett Phillips would hit the home run? No offense to the front of the program, Brett Phillips, but, I mean, it, it, they're they're not hitting. Dave Wilson will say yesterday, they're not hitting with runner. It's been a problem over there since last year. They're just not scoring enough runs. Their pitching's been good. They're just not scoring any runs. And, and you can't depend on your bullpen to carry you like it has the last two years for Tampa. Especially when they have certain uh, certain arms that are out. Yeah, their closer and their guy that was supposed to be the closer are both hurt. Uh, also calling Brian right now for you. Okay. Yeah, they're 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 having some problems with guys being injured, especially in the back on their bullpen. So you got to score more than three runs a game. Hello, Brian. How you doing? It's Chris Townsend with the Oakland A's. Chris, I'm doing very well, thank you. How are you? Uh, doing well. Well, it, it, it's great to have you on the program again. I wish I could say we 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 were there at the trop. We we miss seeing everybody. 
Yeah, I know. I know. It's, it's, it's very strange, you know, coming to the ballpark. At least there are a few fans, you know, nowadays. Uh, but, yeah, it's not the same. You, you don't get to go down to another booth and, and you know, say hi to the fellas. And, uh, you know, I mean, you, you're dealing with it, too. So you just, I guess, make do, do your job, and, and hope one day that that comes back. So for, for, for road games, are you doing it at the Trop, or do you go to a studio? We go to a studio. It, it, you know, it was interesting. The team started in Miami uh, against the Marlins, and so our studio in Tampa wasn't finished. So we went actually to the Fort Lauderdale studio to do those games. And then the team went from there to Boston. We then came back up and did those road games from Tropicana Field. Um, the next road trip, we, th- we did the first three road games from Tropicana Field. And then when they went to Kansas City last week, the studio was operational. Uh, so we were able to get into the, into the studio. So from now on, studio road uh, and obviously the Trop for home games. Well, as everybody's starting to open up and the CDC is changing things, I'm kind of hoping that uh, traveling with the team is right around the corner. You know, that's what I wonder. I, I, you know, I know that they are still, you know, it's to the point that we can't even get down on the same level as the clubhouse. Um, And so I know that these teams are working to try to get to that 85% threshold so the protocols can be loosened, you know, within the team setting. Um, and, and what I have heard was I would not hold my breath to travel, to be traveling this year. Uh, they said they may, re, you know, what I've heard is they may revisit it, um, after the all-star break or, or, you know, once you get into the, 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 you know, the, the last third of the season, but you know, the people that I spoke with were not too optimistic. So we'll see, um, that would obviously be, be nice and, and, and fully be back to normal. But right now I'm. I'm not holding out any hope. I'm just taking it a day at a time, like probably we all should every day, and uh, go go do a good job that day and then move on. Well, we, we just figured out a little equation here. So Joey Wendell got the base hit in the seventh. Your Rays are now one for 39 with runners in scoring position. That's a, in their last 29 at-bats, that's a .034 batting average with runners in scoring position, the lowest in baseball. Just how tough has that been to watch? <laughs> yeah, great question. It's been um, it's been awful. It's been awful to watch because it got to the point where you just would assume, okay, yeah, runner. Well, listen, we ha- they haven't gotten it done in how many games? Why would they do it now? And so, it, you know, that's uh, that's a statistic right there does, that does not lend itself to too many wins. And the thing that's most frustrating about it was going, I think, into the game yesterday. Uh, where the Rays were so awful overall with runners in scoring position, they had given themselves the fifth most plate appearances with runners in scoring position. So it's one thing if you're just not getting anybody out there and you're not able to get them in, but you're getting a lot of guys out there. I mean, you, they have given themselves plenty of opportunities and and have not been able to get it done. And it's frustrating and it's led to some, you know, some some losses that they probably shouldn't have taken. Well, you know, at 12 and 12, I mean, obviously you guys got a really good team defending champions of the American League. It's funny. It's like all you do is beat up the Yankees. You just got to figure out how to beat other people. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's, you know, the the Yankee uh, matchup is very interesting because a few years ago, and and this team is always, you know, as the Rays became the Rays, going from Devil Rays to Rays, they knew that the Yankees and the Red Sox were the two teams that they were going to have to take down. 
So they've always had a target on the Yankees. But in the last few years, it's gotten kind of nasty. A lot of hit by pitch, some bench clearing incidents, uh, knocking them out of the playoffs a season ago. Um, it's gotten a little bit chippy and ugly. So you know when, when the Rays go in to play that team that they're going to be sky high. And I'll tell you, quite frankly, they, they have played them extremely well as far as game plan. Um, our, the pitching staff for the Rays, have, they have a great game plan against that Yankee lineup. They know an awful lot about them. They see them a lot. Um, and so they're able to go in there and have a lot of success against them. Um, and the same thing with the, with the hitters. And they've been able to, over the last couple of seasons, uh, put a hurting uh, on that team. So, yeah, they, they need, maybe need to hit the books and, and do a little bit more scouting on the other teams because that has not been as pretty this year. Well, I got to tell you, we love it here on A's Cast Live because you guys have always been so good to us. And, you know, you know, one of, the, one of the last guys we've seen in person was Kevin Cash at the winter meetings in San Diego. So we're always pulling for you guys and we hate the Yankees. And so <laughs> I, I just I just hate how they try and act like, oh, it's Tampa Bay. They're the little brother. I'm like, little brother, they beat you seven straight series, knocked you out of the playoffs. If you want to talk about a kind of a rivalry, this is it's been so one sided. It's been great from afar. It's been a, it's been great to watch. Well, yeah, really appreciate that. And yeah, it's, they're, they're, those games are so fun to cover. I, I mean, as fun as it is for you all to be able to look in on those series, it's fun to be up in the booth because you just don't know what you're going to see. You know that the uh, emotions are going to run high and you're not really sure how it's going to, you know, quite how it's going to turn out but they are certainly exciting uh, on our end too. And it's funny because, you know, when I was doing my homework for this series, you know, going through the Rays, going through the A's, there are so many similarities between how these teams are built and have been built over the years that that's kind of how we feel when you guys take on the cheating Astros. I mean, that, we want you guys to, to, to wrap them up and take them down every time that you play them. So as much as you look at us against the Yankees, we're looking back at you guys uh, against the Astros, like take down those trash bag or trash can banging cheaters, um, and and uh, and you know knock them down a few pedestals. So that's uh, that's kind of funny how that's worked out for both of us. You know, Randy Rosarena was Babe Ruth in your guys' postseason run uh, last year. We knew, I mean, it wasn't going to last forever. But right now he's hitting 440 in his last seven games. I know expectations were really high from a power standpoint, but he's showing us, isn't he? He's a really good player. He really is. And, you know, he was the principal of that deal. I think when the first, when the deal first went through, um, you, you know, with the trade with the Cardinals, that Carlos Martinez coming back as an established hitter, that was the guy. But it was really Randy Arozarena who, uh, you know, the Rays really had their eye on. And, you know, the thing that really stood out, I, I did a deep dive on him and his, in his postseason success. And it didn't take too long to figure out exactly why he was able to stay so locked in during the postseason. He was he, just incredible with his approach at the plate as far as getting into his hitting position and then taking his hand directly to the baseball. Hand to the baseball. There was no loopiness in his swing. His swing never got long. He was compact. He was through the middle of the field, and he never wavered in his approach. And that's why he put up um, you know, that, that's really why he put up those kind of numbers. And so now all of a sudden you, you see what he's been able to do over the last week. Uh, his swing had gotten a little bit long. I think he got a little bit greedy. You know, he was having a lot of success, um, success at the beginning of the season. And then he's like, well, if I'm hitting that good, short and compact, now I'm going to really start to swing hard. 
and things weren't going as well for him. Um, and the, the last game against the Yankees uh, in Yankee Stadium, uh, he got the day off. And Kevin Cash said, I'm not liking what I'm seeing with his swing right now. We're just going to give him a day, give him a day in the cage, and then get him back out there. So he gave him that day off. He goes in the lineup the next day. He gets a 2-0 count. You're fully expecting if there's a ball anywhere near the plate, he's going to come out of his shoes with that really big swing. And he stayed compact, and he hit a nice line drive to right field in a 2-0 count. And you said to yourself, okay, he got the message, and he got compact again. Well, you just referenced the numbers. Over the last week week's worth of games, which is when that happened, you know, he has been absolutely uh, on fire and back to that same approach that he had in the postseason. You know, I think about your career. So you're 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 on the the high of that Cleveland Indians team. I mean, that Indians team was just incredible, and 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 you're part of that World Series in 1997. And then you get selected in the expansion draft. Not too many guys can ever say they were drafted again as professionals. What was that like? Uh, you know, it was really strange because, you know, I, I was a Cleveland guy. You know, I grew up about 45 miles east of Cleveland. So I'm playing for the hometown team, and we just got uh, our hearts ripped out in Game 7 of the World Series against the Marlins. And we take the flight back to Cleveland, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, you know what, go back to work, uh, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll finish this the right way next year. And I remember being at my house in Cleveland, and I was cleaning, and I had ESPN on in the background, and Peter Gammons was talking about the upcoming expansion draft. And he said, I heard there are three names available. And he mentioned Tony Saunders and myself and Kevin Supon. And I was like, wait a minute, I thought I was protected. I had heard through the grapevine that I was protected. And what ended up happening was apparently there was a last minute, my name got taken off the 15-man protected list, and someone else got put on. And so now all of a sudden I was available. And so at that point, um, I realized that there was a real good chance unless the, the, the devil rays at the time took Jose Mesa or some other Cleveland Indian that I was probably going to Arizona. And so there was that anticipation and part of it was an excitement. Um, and part of it was, but I, I, I want to play for my hometown team. I mean, this is the team I grew up rooting for. So it was a very strange series of, uh, of emotions you know, the few days before the draft and then going into that day. And when I heard my name called and then they called me and said, we need you in Phoenix tomorrow. I was like, okay, okay, here's a, here's a new chapter. And, uh, and, and, you know, thankfully it worked out because when I went out there, I was going to get a chance to go out there and pitch and pitch every fifth day and establish myself in the game where the way that the Indians were working, um, it was one of those young pitchers. You had better be beyond flawless. Uh, because they would start you a game or two and then send you down and bring up the next guy. And send, you know, and that's just kind of the way it worked. And so you look back and you go, boy, if I stay with the Indians, it may have taken me a few more years to, to establish myself, but maybe it never happened. So uh, it, it ended up working out and, of course, go out to Arizona. And a few years later, we won a World Series. So uh, that wasn't too bad either. Well, you know, I, I know that that group, and I'm, I'm assuming every group that wins a World Series is close. But we've talked to Bob Melvin about it because, you know, recently we were playing the Arizona Diamondbacks and Mark Grace got on the Zoom call, Bob Melvin's Zoom call. And they're, and and Grace is like, yeah, Bob, when you and I play golf together, we're unbeatable. We've never lost. And so we were talking to Bob about that. And Bob was like, it's such a tight group that that 2001, the players, the coaches, Bob Brindley, 
Just talk about, and we'll end on this, just talk about just how special that group was, Gonzo, everybody, to take down the New York Yankees, and you're still close today. You know what? It, it, yeah, because, it, first of all, that team was built so quickly. You know, that was the fourth season um, uh, you know, of the Diamondbacks. And I was there from day one, and you know, you're an expansion team in, in 98 trying not to lose 100 games. Uh, in 1999, you win the division. I mean, you went out and got Randy Johnson, Bob Stoudemire, and then all of a sudden, here comes Kurt Schilling and Luis Scott. You start adding all these pieces, Mark Grace, Matt Williams, the whole thing. And you had this really cool group of veteran guys um, that were really, really good ball players, uh, men of as far as baseball, baseball principle. We're going to do things the right way. We're going to play the game the right way. Uh, we're going to play hard. We're going to hold each other accountable. Um, there was buy-in by everybody, everybody pulling in the same direction. It really was. You know, you start these names start popping back in your head. Jay Bell, uh, Tony Womack. Um, it, it, it's, it's hilarious that, that how quickly those names come back to you and you realize what a close-knit group it was. And, and Bob Melvin, you know, his is not wrong. It's, uh, you know, it was Bob Brenly's right-hand man. And, uh, you know, we were able to pull off something special. Um, against the Yankees. And of course, that was, you know, the, the year of, you know, September 11th um, and everything that was going on in the, in the country at that time. So, you know, the team that we beat, uh, the, the, the state of the country and being able to bring baseball back and, 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 the, and the postseason and, and be able to do that, not only was that special, but then the group of guys that you did it with. So overall, it's just one of those experiences that each and every one of us will, will never, never, ever forget. Well, it's great to hear from you. Good luck the rest of the way, and have a good call tonight, and we'll talk to you the next time we hook up against the Rays. That sounds good. Thank you so much for having me. I always enjoy it. Thanks, Brian. Brian Anderson, he's good. It's it's weird because I looked up his stats. He never played for the Rays, but he's a broadcaster for them, so it's very rare to see that happen. Like Ken Singleton never played for the Yankees. But he's been a Yankee broadcaster for 25-plus years. Ben Singleton was a rival of the Yankees <laughs> with the Baltimore Orioles. It, it's, it's, not like, it's not like the A's are going to go out and hire, uh, you know, the A's are going to bring on a new analyst, and it's going to be some guy that pits for the, the Angels. It's not like uh, Mark Gubazaw is going to become the new TV analyst. Well, nope. and, then how about, and how about Gooby? Gooby played what? One, and it wasn't, I mean, Gooby didn't play a long time for the Angels. I, I want to say he played one year. Yeah, it wasn't long. Uh, do you want me to tell Fossey to call in? Yeah, let's go. Okay. I told him we I don't need, we don't need to play this. This can be a commercial-free hour. Yeah, I I do have a new promo I wanted you to hear. I I put I made a Macho Man Brett Phillips promo that uh you'll have to listen to. We'll play at some point on here. Uh, it's pretty good. What there is a there is Macho Man Randy Savage audio also in the clip, so I'm very excited to play that when we get to it. But I did a deep dive after this. Uh, interview on YouTube, just interviews with the Macho Man and Mean Gene Okerlund. Let me tell you something, Mean Gene. <laughs> He's absolutely hilarious. <laughs> Wednesday is known as Hump Day for everyone during the work week. But on A's Cast Live, Wednesday means one thing. It's time for 30 uninterrupted minutes with the two-time World Series champion, two-time All-Star, two-time Rawlings Gold Glove winner, A's analyst on NBC California, and the face of the franchise, Ray Fossey. Ray, good afternoon. How are you? Tony, I'm fine. Are you feeling better today? It, it, it's amazing. I woke up today like nothing happened. 
I mean, it, it's <laughs> and I was hurt. I was hurting so bad yesterday. It was I basically was shaking and had the chills. Like when we were doing our our, our interviews uh, on Google Meets where we can see each other, I had to put the camera just on my face so you couldn't see that my hands were shaking. And I was like that all <laughs> nausea. I couldn't. But then I wake up this morning. I played 18 holes. Ray fell fine. Like nothing ever happened. So I thought maybe you 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 just didn't care that the A's lost a tough game last night. <laughs> well, you know, Ray, I'm tired of bad umpires. I'm I'm tired of bad. I'm. You think? I'm just, it's getting old. Well, I saw something today, and it uh, it it uh, evaluated Chad Firechild last night. He was two different umpires because at the beginning of the game of the game. I mean, there was, it was a pitcher's strike zone. All of a sudden, it's about tight. I mean, it it got unbelievably tight, and then. I saw this evaluation today. I've never seen it before where they talked about the average of this and the average of that. The average of this one thing was 94%. He was at 86 and another one, 93 and he was 84 or something like that. So, I mean, that that's back-to-back games that it's been tough for the athletics. Fortunately, they, they won the first game, but, uh, you know, last night I, I kind of agree with, uh, with Frank Montas with Brett Phillips, you know, that was a pitch in the early part of the game. It's strike three. It's over. Next pitch leaks out over the plate. It's a two-run home run. And you knew something was going to happen, unfortunately, and it did. But, uh, you know, the, the good news about uh, Sean Murphy crushing that ball deep to left field, the good news is he hit the home run. Bad news, um, Casillo, the, the closer said, wait a minute, these guys are sitting on my fastball, and then all of a sudden they come all the sliders. And that changed everything, especially with Matt Chapman pinch hitting um, for the last out. But, you know, it's a good game, and I think with you know, like you were talking with Brian Anderson about uh, you know just the the way things are with the two ball clubs, and they're tight. Uh, they both play good defense and good pitching, and you know, a mistake here or there, that's the difference in the ball game. Well, speaking of Brian, he's such a good guy, and I think that's the thing that that really stinks about nobody traveling is we we don't we don't get to see all, all of our friends in the game. You know, you're right, and, and I think Cody, you know, brought up a good point that he didn't play for the race, but, you know, he has a locker in the clubhouse. At least I, I saw that when we were traveling several years ago. I saw he had a, a locker in the clubhouse because he's young enough to still throw batting practice, and, you know, anytime you get a lefty can throw BP, you're going to do that, but, yeah, he had a locker in there, and so, you know, he, he's a good broadcaster. He and Dwayne Snatch do a very good job, and, uh, you know, you're right. That That's probably the biggest problem with not traveling is just because of the the different cities and the ballparks and the friends that are made. And, you know, in my case, over a lot of years, both as a player and as a broadcaster and, you know, not to see that or be able to have that happen. And, you know, same thing with the teams coming in here to Oakland, you know, it's, it's a different situation as well because you don't get to see people. And so it's, it is bad in that respect. And you know what? I really feel badly. Uh, John Reynolds, uh, JR, we call him down in Anaheim. He's the stage manager on, on our telecast. And uh, those are the people that are, are just hurting badly because um, I think JR told me his last live um, game was last March or something like that because he does the uh, – I think he does one of the basketball teams plus the um, Anaheim what, Ducks or something, the, the hockey team. But, you know, everything shut down because there was no traveling, and, and it's the same this year. So – when we would go in there, Jr. would be our stage guy, and you know that was a, a regular job for him. And um, but now all of a sudden, 
those people are, are, are out of jobs essentially because everything is being done remotely. And, you know, the broadcasters are staying in the hometowns and they're getting help from, you know, they're all working together as far as shooting the games, et cetera. But, uh, you know, it's, um, you know, we we had a tough one. Did did you know when Brown hit the ball down the left field line last night, you know, I, I put down, you know, strike two. And next thing I know, I see this ball come in and they showed the replay. It was it was like the ball went down the line. Never it didn't slice foul. Normally a ball hit like that would slice foul. So those are some of the things that you miss by not being on location. Um, because you know, showing the replay, Brownie just swung the bat, turned around, and all of a sudden I don't know somebody yelled. But in that case, he probably should have been at second base if he had seen where the ball was actually hit. Uh, but instead he got to first and, you know, that's as far as he got, but, you know, there's some things that are happening that we don't get to see. We rely on the, the coverage from really the television crew back in St. Petersburg at, uh, at Tropicana field. So, you know, that's what we see. That's what everybody sees. And, and we're kind of on the radio side of it, calling it off that TV. Uh, they're in the studio doing the same thing. Well, you know, what's funny about that place, very easy to lose the ball. When you got Kier, when you got Kiermaier losing a ball, he's been playing there for six years. He's a multi Rawlings Gold Glove winner. I, I mean, that's a that's a tough place, tough place to see. But yeah, um, th- that that could have been a. You never know what that inning could have been like if he ends up on second base. Well, exactly, and, and you know, too. Speaking of that, when Moreland hit the sack fly to left field, and Rosarina was camped on it, momentum going towards the plate. And all of a sudden, here coming from center field is Kiermaier. And it, it, the fact that he had to jump to catch the ball and then stop his momentum, that allowed Olsen to score. If uh, You know, I don't know if Rosarina, I haven't seen him throw, so I don't know what kind of arm he has. But evidently, Kiermaier thought it was not good enough to throw out Olsen, so he cut in front of him, reminiscent of the Joe Ferguson cutting in front of Jimmy Wynn in the 74 World Series in game two when Captain Sal was thrown out at the plate. You know, throwing a – you know, but, you know – Joe Ferguson had a strong arm. I mean, he threw a bullet to the plate to get Sal, and it's a big collision of the plate with Steve Yeager, with Sal Bando. But, uh, you know, seeing that last night, you know, that helped the A's. I thought it was going to be a determining factor in the A's being victorious. But, unfortunately, your your guest, Brett Phillips, turned it around. You All right. I said your guest. Yes. <laughs> He's now front of the program. Uh, Matt right. Chapman is one for 24 with 12 strikeouts in the last nine games. But, Ray, today's his birthday. Some guys light it up on their birthday. How did how did you feel going to the ballpark on your birthday? Uh, more times than not, I didn't because we started later than April the 4th. So I didn't have a game unless it was exhibition. You know, we, we started later back then, Tony. We didn't start really? as early as they do these. Oh, yeah. I mean, I got married on uh, my birthday, April 4th. We didn't start the season that year to April 7th in Cleveland in 1970. So, you know, people say, oh, you, you did you miss a game to have your wedding? And I said, no, I, we didn't play. We weren't playing. And so um, I, I don't really remember. I'm sure there was times that we started early. But, you know, again, back then, because we played doubleheaders, Tony, that I think was the biggest thing. We played a lot of doubleheaders. And so – uh, you, you combine an off day, but you're able to start the season later because of those doubleheaders. Unlike today, nobody plays a scheduled doubleheader they, because it's it's going to be you want the gate under normal circumstances. You want the full gate instead of having a two for one. Put it that way. But yeah, I, I hope Matt Chapman on his birthday 
has a good game. I don't know what he's done previously, but um, he needs to turn it around because it's it's approaching the end of April, going to start a new month, uh, what, Saturday? And, you know, you, you can talk about making adjustments and coming off hip surgery and all those kind of things. I do, I do know one thing, Tony. When I had that little collision at home plate in 1970, All-Star game, um, you know, I played with a fractured and separated left shoulder. I had to change everything. And I do know for a fact that when you have something happen to your body and you make adjustments because of an injury, in the case of Matt Chapman had surgery and he was playing at the time with a bad hip. So, you know, he picked up some bad habits and those things carry over. And, and even though you might have the corrective surgery or you get well, whatever it might be, you're still, you still have developed bad habits. And, and I would look at pictures of myself prior to that all-star game in the first half of 1970. And I'd say, man, how did I do that? You know, what was I doing? We didn't have the video like they do now. But, you know, I just never got the swing back because I had to make some bad and serious adjustments with a fraction of left uh, and, and separated left shoulder that I couldn't use my left arm. So I compensated for by using the right arm. And so as I started to get better healthy-wise, then all of a sudden those, those habits that had been formed because of an injury carried over. And I think that's what Matt Chapman is in essence doing. But um, I still say, Tommy, anytime a hitter can go opposite field, that means he's staying back, and that means he's not jumping at the ball. And I think that's just something that, that some of these pitchers, uh, last now tonight, you know, throws hard, good hard breaking ball. You know, maybe just because he throws so hard, maybe that will be a way for Matt Chapman go to, to go to right field. But, you know, he needs to come out of uh, a little bit of a funk. And, you know, he's going to. And, and maybe when somebody else gets a little bit cold, uh, that Chappie will start swinging the bat like he, well, like we know he can. And, and, and everything will, will take care of itself. Yeah, I mean, if, if he can get going the way a lot of the other guys ha- have been swinging it at the top of the lineup, that would really help. When you prepare for a tall guy where you know he's going to be boring down on you, He's got the fastball, as you mentioned, that big curveball. What's it like preparing for a guy like that? Just happy that Bob Gibson had a 1.12 and then lowered the mound. Otherwise, you take somebody that tall with a higher mound, oh, man, that's so hard because you're right. He's throwing straight down. And it's, it's kind of automatic to keep the ball down the way he does, I mean, especially with his height, it, it, because he is throwing downhill in a sense and, and keeping the ball down. But – you know, I think he's added a slider also. I just read that recently, which that makes it even worse, you know, from the hitter standpoint, because now, you know, he's got the good fastball, the good curveball. And now if he adds another hard slider, which, you know, you have to look fastball and here comes the slider. And uh, just like um, I see last night closing out the game for the Rays, it, you know, you look at for his fastball, he throws a slider. What are you going to do? You, you can't hold up because it looks so inviting. So, um, you know, Glasnow is good, but, you know, I've always said when you're facing someone as good as Glasnow, if Cole Irvin has his good game and he keeps the Rays hitters down, then it becomes a bullpen game. And I think that's where the A's can benefit, especially in a close game or a a lead, because they'll go to the back end of the bullpen, which uh, is what they did. I guess you could tell them the the good guys, if you will, and what they did on Monday night and, and pick up the win. So, that I think is important because pitchers each other hitting wise, but they face the other team. And you have to know that the pitcher that's on the other team, he's not going to give your club a lot of opportunities to score runs. So you as a pitcher, in this case, Cole Irvin, 
has to keep the raise hitters out. And uh, I heard um, I heard Dwayne Stas say in a, in a highlight last night that the Rays were 0 for 26 with runners in scoring position before Joey Window got what turned out to be probably the biggest hit, the biggest RBI in the game because that gave him a 4-2 lead. It's actually they were one for they were 0 for 28. That made them one for 29 for a batting average. And their last 29, 29 at bats with runners in scoring position, 0.034. Wow. <laughs> That's not good. That's not good. So, <laughs> so, so get them tonight and tomorrow and get the heck out of town and let them, let them you know, because they'll be here in a week and, uh, you know, be finished with them. But I, I think maybe that's good because they are a good team and they're going to get better. And, and I, I think the old saying about it's not who you play, it's when you play them. And right now, the Rays' offense is not the way it's going to be. And uh, maybe after the A's play them at the Coliseum, they'll pick up. And, and the A's don't have to worry about them again until possibly October. This is a cool note on Cole Irvin. So he's got back-to-back victories against the Orioles and the Tigers. And his first win since winning consecutive starts back in May of 2019. So... <laughs> All of a sudden, you know, he's winning some games, Ray. I mean, he's 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 been very good the last two starts. You know, when he pitched against the Tigers, Tony, anytime a pitcher has nine days in between starts, and I don't care what type of pitcher you are, I, I think that maybe somebody that throws 95, 98 is a little bit more difficult. Somebody has mechanics, you know, maybe Chris Badson because of the arms and legs and things like that. But what Cole Irvin did in that start against the Tigers was exceptional because, you know, he, he comes into the game, he has the nine days off, and, you know, you have a tendency to feel real strong because of the time off. But I go back to what Scott Emerson said at the beginning about Cole Irvin. He's a strike-throwing machine. And if you throw strikes and you have a good feel of the baseball, the fastball and the changeup, the release point, then you can be an outstanding pitcher. And, and the only thing that could hurt Cole Irvin tonight is if he gets the ground balls because that turf, the ball could shoot through the infield. Let's hope that doesn't happen because unfortunately a great infielder's range is, is minimalized a little bit just because of the turf and the way the ball goes through the infield. But you've noticed also County that Bob Melvin has made it a point of giving somebody in the, in the lineup every day, a day off. And tonight it's Elvis Sanders and Chapman's back. Machine is playing second base. Lowry gets the day off night off so there's a lot of that because of the hard surface and it's hard on your body so I think what Bob Melvin wants to do is try to get through the four game series make sure he does not put somebody out on that turf for four games and you know Sean Murphy is off tonight he's on dirt but still when he backs up first base he has to run on the turf and I'm sure that's more of a uh, day game after night game so Murph will be in tomorrow if he played tonight probably the matchups uh, uh, go go with um, uh, Garcia tonight, and and probably I mean after, especially after Murphy crushed that ball last night, the way he's swinging the bat, you kind of want him in there all the time. But typically, a day game after a night game, one or the other, uh, the catcher's not going to be in there in the case of Sean Murphy. So I think they still have to pay attention to his body to make sure that uh, he doesn't break down for some reason or another. Uh, let's hope he's had his surgeries and his injuries to. Uh, take care of him for the rest of his career. We hope is with the athletics because he's an outstanding player. But, you know, Bob Melvin's the best, and he's been frustrated for two games. Let's hope tonight we're going to – we don't know if they'll see the smile, but we see the twinkle in his eye. We know he's happy, 
and that's because he's getting the the, the four guys in blue doing what they should be doing, and uh, he doesn't have to get ejected because of a bad call. All right, Ray, I'm predicting the bottom of the lineup will be the heroes tonight. Tony Kemp batting 190, VML Machine <laughs> batting .091, and Erasmus Garcia batting 133. I'm predicting these guys, 7, 8, and 9, will lead the Athletics to victory. Your thoughts? You know, I kind of, yeah, I like that because I think back to the great Hall of Famer Randy Johnson when he was pitching for Seattle, and you know, all the, the big guys the A's had, and, and not that Lance Blankenship or Mike Gallego were, they were good players, but it was the, the not the, the so-called big name offensive guys. Uh, those guys, maybe he handled, and, and maybe Glassnow would take a little bit easy on the bottom three, and they'll have the success that you anticipate or you predict. Because, you know, we've always talked about if the bottom part of the batting order can do their job and get on, the, get on base, set the table, turn it over to the top of the batting order, from a pitcher standpoint, you want to get those guys out. But if you don't, if you don't, then you're facing the top of the batting order, the middle part of the batting order, and then you're you're in trouble. And the ace pitchers have experienced that. Let's hope Blast now tonight can do. And I'll look forward to uh, having your prediction come true because that would that would be a thing of beauty. Oh my God, Ray! I'm seeing. I didn't realize there was this Twitter account where they 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 grade the umpires. That's right. Oh wow! Did you see that? Co- Cody sent that to me. Cody sent that to me. Hey, Cody. By the way, I, I, I since he brought up Randy Johnson, I know I just texted you. Can you find Bob Melvin versus Randy Johnson? Because we talk <laughs> about how Ray owned Nolan Ryan with a three thirty three batting average. I want to know what Bob Melvin did against the Hall of Famer Randy Johnson. But man, <laughs> he missed some. He missed some calls that were way. I mean, he's calling strikes that are way out of the strike zone. Isn't that amazing? They, uh, yeah, it, it was it was really amazing that uh, they came up with that. I've never seen. You're looking at the umpire scorecards. Is that what you're looking at? It's the, uh, says the umpire. Yeah, umpire scorecards. And it shows the overall accuracy and the overall consistency. And he was about nine, eleven points behind on the overall consistency. And uh, 11 points behind on the overall accuracy. Missed calls, you know, worst missed calls. I mean, you talk about breaking it down. I mean, he called 92 of 111 uh, taking pitches correctly. That's bad. 92 of 111? I mean, that's, that's 19 bad calls just with that. And then the worst missed calls, we, we saw that. But, yeah, I've never seen anything like this show up. So uh, whoever had this. Uh, overall favor, 0.61. <laughs> well, like I said, he Vince Catronio brought up a good point that when, when Frankie Montas, um, you know, kind of looked in and, and questioned the call, that maybe that good pitcher strike zone got very tight because there was some pitches late in the game, especially for Frankie. And that's obviously who we, we pay more attention to, but you know, those same pitches that were called strikes earlier were not called strikes later. And, of course, that ended up hurting Frankie, and especially on the Brett Phillips home run. What are the numbers, Commander? Uh, so, Ray, Bob Melvin versus Randy Johnson, 31 career at-bats, 14 hits, one double, six strikeouts, a four fifty two 
batting average. Bob Melvin versus Nolan Ryan, a 211 batting average. Ray Fossey versus Nolan Ryan, a 333 batting average. We call that ownage on this program. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sometimes you just own somebody. <laughs> well, you know, I still say, and you probably heard me talk about a left-hander pitching inside of right-handers. I, I still go back to David Valley when he caught Randy Johnson, and he kind of forced Randy to pitch inside of the righties. And with the hard fastball and the hard slider, they had no chance because he was so good in there, he just blew him away. Because I still think somebody throws that hard, tries to nail the outside corner, you don't finish with the pitch, and it ends up going off the plate. But whenever he did finish and going inside, and it was all because of David Valley who convinced him to do that, and he's in the Hall of Fame. I don't know how much credit he'll give Dave Valley or has given Dave Valley, but, but I remember watching that uh, when, when Randy was pitching for the, the Mariners when David was catching. And uh, a very good catcher, David Valley was. And, you know, I, I remember that distinctly because Randy, you know, he couldn't throw a strike. And then all of a sudden, the big guy started finishing, and huh, rest is history. You know, he, he's, he, he just did a tremendous job. So, so I, I used that's, that's good. That's good about Melvin, though. That's good. With yeah. Randy Johnson. So I used to do the TV show with Jack Del Rio when he was the head coach of the Raiders. And yeah. Jack Del Rio caught Randy Johnson at USC when they were in college together. And I was talking to him off air one time. He was like, Randy, at, he goes, no one knew where it was going. No one. It was so yeah. scary. Can you imagine facing a guy in college who's throwing that hard and he's that big and you got no idea where it's going? Ray, we got to get out of here. I'm going to talk to you in uh, a few minutes. I know. I know that. I was waiting for you to say that because yeah, you're a busy man. Cody, thank you, buddy. You're a good man, too. So I know you're, you're continuing to get all these great guests. I'm just I'm just privileged to be on with the stars of the program, Chris Townsend and Cody Elias. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Thanks, Ray. Thanks, Ray. Okay, buddy. Yeah, uh, Ray Fossey, more walks and strikeouts against Nolan Ryan as well. Let me just throw that out there. Yeah, yeah. getting Nolan Ryan on the line, what was it like to be owned by Ray Fossey? Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know if Nolan wants going to want to come on and talk about that. Those battles. So, <laughs> oh god. But yeah, check out that umpire scorecard thing. I I noticed I found that a couple of days ago, and then I saw. I'm, I'm going to follow that on Twitter. Yeah, it's pretty. Do they do, do they do it for every game? Yeah, they do it for every game. So like, they'll if you go back and look, like they have. Um, let me see if they updated today. They had the the Mets and and Red Sox from last night. Orioles, Yankees. They don't have the one from today. The Brewers and Marlins already played today, so that one's not updated. But they update it pretty quickly. So. We'll see. Uh, I don't know who the umpire tonight is behind the plate. Who's doing this account? That's a great question. I have no idea who runs it. They have forty, th- almost 41,000 followers, and they count following one follower. <laughs> so, that m- actually, that might tell you who runs it. It might be a, a guy named Ethan, S- Ethan Singer might be the guy who runs it. That's the only account that they follow. So, Just so he kind of makes you think, yeah, this is me. Yeah, the guy has 39 followers, and he's following five people, but the account that he might run has over 41,000 followers. It's a big deal. I'm telling you, the way they protect umpires in Major League Baseball with this kind of stuff and the challenges and all of that, and they don't want to they, they, they don't want to really show you grades because you know what happens? It makes everybody go, 
electric strike zone. This right here shows you why there should be an electric strike zone. The accuracy is horrible. And I can't wait to keep following this Twitter account. Are we done? Yeah, we got to get out of here. You got to get All ready. Right. You got to we'll, get ready for we'll Ace Total. It. We're going to play our replay our interview with Martine because you're going to have Dave Wills on uh, Ace uh, Ace Total Access today. All righty, Martine Gallegos from MLB.com, and I'll talk to you in a few with A's Total Access. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. 